You're listening to This Week in Sports. Hey, what's going on? How's everybody doing today? You're listening to This Week in Sports, episode 22. I'm your host, Anthony, otherwise known as The Pody. It is Saturday, October 20th, 2018. A lot of college football games on right now. Upset alert, shocker of the century, Rutgers is actually winning a game 15 to 10 headed to the fourth quarter right now I have that game on in the background I'm paying close attention to that Rutgers has been a dumpster fire that's my that's my uh, school right there that's where I went to college so um, I'm looking forward to the fourth quarter they're probably going to find a way to blow it and lose this one but hey they're finally in a game and uh yeah we'll see what happens okay lot going on. We have one team headed to the World Series already, still waiting on another. Okay, I'll tell you how all of that has unfolded, how we've gotten to this point thus far. Um, NBA season is well underway. That got started this week. And on Thursday, we had one of the most special days in sports, okay? That was a day in which we had all four major sport sports at once, okay? So talk about amazing. We had games in the NHL, MLB, NBA, and NFL. All four major sports at once. That was on Thursday. Okay, so let's take a deep dive and get right into things. We are going to start with The NBA, I just mentioned the NBA is finally back this week, the 2018-2019 season underway officially. All right, we begin with Richard Jefferson. So the 17-year NBA vet is finally retiring. He's finally calling it quits. He posted the message um, on a newly created Instagram account of his, And on there, if you don't already know, but he paid tribute to his late father who was shot in a drive-by shooting last month. Very sad story. While he was standing outside of a liquor store, I believe that was in um, California somewhere, L.A. or or whereabouts. But um, yeah, so Richard Jefferson, he was a longtime New Jersey Nets player. Obviously, the Nets are now in Brooklyn. That's my team, of course. Grew up rooting for the the Nets, watching Richard Jefferson and Jason Kidd alongside Vince Carter a little bit later on. But but man, those guys, those were some of the great great moments I have was watching Richard Jefferson and um, great player. So he was drafted by the Nets 13th overall in the 2001 draft. He played for eight different teams throughout his career. So, uh, yeah, very accomplished player. And finally, he he won that ring that he was looking for in 2016 with the Cavs, with LeBron James. He was a vital member of that team. He now actually is going to head to the broadcast booth where he will be an analyst starting on actually next Wednesday, uh, working for the Yes Network and working with the Nets. So that's pretty cool. I watch all the Nets games. Obviously, I'm a fan of the Nets, so I get to listen to... Um, to Richard bring his bring his analysis and basketball knowledge to 
to the broadcast booth, which I'm excited for and looking forward to. Next up, Jamal Crawford. Uh, The last I checked, he was still not signed by a team, and I still believe that is the case. The three-time sixth man of the year somehow has not found a home yet. He turned down a one-year, $4.5 million option with the Timberwolves. Obviously, that's the team he played with last year. He did visit with the Suns on Friday. Um, I don't have word, however, if, if he has been signed or not. He averaged 10.3 points and 2.3 assists last year. Okay, on Tuesday, yes, the NBA season kicked off with a pair of games. The Boston Celtics defeated the 76ers, excuse me, by a final score of 105 to 87. This one was all Celtics pretty much throughout. Jason Tatum had 23 points and 9 rebounds. He's really turned into a, a star player for that team. This was really all about uh, the return of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. We all know Gordon Hayward missed the entire season last year after that horrific, gruesome leg injury in the season opener. And then Kyrie Irving came back following a pair of surgeries on his left knee that caused him to miss the end of the regular season, and all of the playoffs. Listen, the Celtics are the front runners in the East. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals without these two players. So it's it's unbelievable. And I just have a little bit um, from Gordon Hayward talking about his first game back and his expectations moving forward. He did say, not in this clip, but he did say the explosiveness. He's not 100% there on his leg. He still can't jump off it as explosively as he can his other his other leg, but uh, he's still working back and he's he's coming into his own. So just take a listen to this here. Man, it was so good to be out there. Uh, such a blessing that I was able to play basketball again. And so uh, the first two minutes, I was I was super gassed, had so much adrenaline going, uh, but just a blessing. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I'm trying to build a rhythm just because I've been out for so long. And then you added the minutes restriction thing too, something I've never done before. But uh, we have we have such good depth on the team that we can afford to do that. And uh, our guys played really well. Um, I hit a couple pull-up jump shots. Those felt the best, um, something I'm used to doing. So a uh, lot to work on for me. But like I said, man, just, just the joy of being out here was amazing. I mean, I'm going to lean on the same people that I leaned on to get me through the last part. Uh, first and foremost, God, and then my family, but also my teammates too. Uh, we have a great group of guys, so we can lean on them. Yeah, so that's Gordon Hayward uh, just talking about his expectations for the season, how he felt. He scored, I believe, 10 points. Yeah, he had 10 points in that game. Okay, so on the flip side of that, uh, Joel Embiid led the team for the Sixers, 23 points, 10 rebounds, while Ben Simmons finished just shy of the triple-double, 19 points, 15 rebounds, and 8 assists. Okay, the second game on Tuesday night, this was ridiculous, first of all. They had the ring ceremony for the Warriors um, as they were playing OKC. Listen, the war. this game started was supposed to start at 1030 because of the ring ceremony and the banner ceremony and whatnot. This game didn't start till... Like after 11, I was able to stay up till about 11.30 in which the second quarter was just getting underway. Absolutely ridiculous. This game probably ended around 1 o'clock in the morning. I could not stay up and watch that. But if you saw the pregame, the the ceremony for the 
the uh, championship rings that the Warriors received. These things were probably the biggest rings I've ever seen in my life, and now they had to get super fancy and make these things removable and reversible. So you can remove the top and reverse it from a white diamond, and then it turns into like a, a bluish Golden State Warrior color or something like that. Just absolutely ridiculous. People are going, these guys are going to lose this top of these things. I mean, come on. It's just absurd. They're getting way out of control with these, with these, with these rings nowadays. But anyway, the Warriors beat OKC. They were without Russell Westbrook. So this one, obviously, the Warriors were going to win this. A little bit closer. Both these teams, first game jitters maybe, but uh, bad shooting night for both teams. The, uh, Warriors won this one 108 to 100, a little bit more on Russell Westbrook. He had surgery about a month ago in September, and timetable for his return is still unknown, but he should be back soon. Steph Curry led the way for the Warriors. He had 32 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. And Kevin Durant, last year's finals MVP, added 27 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists. Um, OKC, Paul George scored 27 points to go along with two rebounds and five assists. And like I said, it was a very poor shooting performance for Golden State as they made just seven of 26 three-point shots. Okay, we move along. Wednesday was the big night, opening night for most teams, including the Nets and the Knicks. Okay, unfortunately, though, the Nets were beaten by the Detroit Pistons. This was a very good game. Nets couldn't couldn't close out down the stretch, and Detroit ends up winning this by a score of 103 to 100. The New York Knicks handed the loss to Atlanta to the Atlanta Hawks. They beat them by a score of 126 to 107. The Indiana Pacers beat the Memphis Grizzlies 111 to 83. Magic beat the Heat 104 to 101. Another good game. Milwaukee Bucks led by their superstar Giannis, who many uh, Tenacumpo, who many are predicting might win the MVP this year. They beat the Charlotte Hornets by one point, 113 to 112. Toronto beats Cleveland 116 to 104. This was the debut of Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. He actually looked very good. I hate to say it. He, d- he did. He didn't really look like he missed a beat after playing in only nine games last season. And he, he was really uh, welcomed nicely by the crowd there in Toronto. The Pelicans beat the Rockets 131-112. to The San Antonio Spurs beat Minnesota Timberwolves 112-108. to Jimmy Butler back in this one. Utah Jazz beat Sacramento 123-117. to Denver Nuggets beat the Clippers 107-98. Listen, the West is stacked. Denver is a team to watch out for. They have a very good offense. They score a lot of points, and I look for them to be a threat this year in the Western Conference, so keep an eye out on the Denver Nuggets. And then Phoenix beats Dallas 121-100. to The number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, played very well, got the best of number three overall pick, Luka Doncic, for the Mavericks there. That was on Wednesday. Those were all the Wednesday games. And then we had Thursday night. Philadelphia beat Chicago 127 to 108. Miami beat Washington 113 to 112. A lot of high scoring games. And then Portland beat the Lakers 128 to 119. This was the debut for LeBron James. Um, Although they lost, he had a double double and he did pretty much what LeBron does. Just take a look at this one here. This is early in the game. He gets a steal and. Well, 
you know the rest. Let me shut up. James off the steal. James with the stuff. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Brown. Yeah, so LeBron James gets the steal. Easy dunk. The crowd loves it. Listen, this is going to be a work in progress. There's a lot of young, talented players on this Los Angeles Lakers team. Josh Hart was really the only one that that added anything uh, besides LeBron. He had a decent shooting night. Brandon Ingram didn't shoot the ball too well. And a lot of these young guys, they're still finding their way their way around this team. You know, LeBron is trying to, to mold this team a little bit. And even he said it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress and it's going to take time. I don't know that they're going to be a threat this year. I see them as more of like a four, five, four through seven seed, truthfully, in that Western Conference. A lot of people have them a little bit higher and think they can make the Western Conference finals. I'm sorry, I don't see it. It's not going to happen, in my opinion. And this year, he's just going to have to build a rapport with these young guys and get them going and build on something for next season where they can try to make a run. Okay, then we have Friday, Friday night's games. That was last night. Um, we had my Brooklyn Nets. They might've lost on Wednesday, but last night, what happened? That's right. Brooklyn in the building. They beat the New York Knickerbockers by a score of 107 to 105. So all you Knicks fans that were all excited that the Knicks were undefeated. Oh my God. One and O start baby. Oh, that, you know, pigs, pigs are flying and the Knicks are going to win. The NBA title this year, not sorry, it lasted all of about one day as the Nets, the better team in New York, in my opinion, beat the Brooklyn, uh, beat the New York Knicks 107-105. Then we had the Charlotte Hornets beat the Magic 120-88. This one really was not close. And keep an eye out for Kemba Walker. He has gotten off to an extremely fast, hot start. Great player there, uh, point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. Next up, you have the New Orleans Pelicans beat the Sacramento Kings by a score of 149 to 129. Was there any defense played in this game? Okay, I do have to give a shout out to my man for the Pelicans, Nikola Mirotic. Man, oh man, I drafted this guy on my fantasy team the other night. I had my fantasy basketball draft the other night, and I I got I think I stole Mirotic in the late rounds. He put up 30 in the first one, had 36 in this one. I mean, he's been phenomenal, phenomenal for the Pelicans. And um, okay, moving on, Minnesota Timberwolves. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 131 to 123. Listen, um, Jimmy Butler had a good game, but the home fans were not were not happy. So obviously there's all the trade rumors. Jimmy Butler says he doesn't want to play there. So naturally, him and Tom Thibodeau, the head coach, were both booed before the game. Next up, the Toronto Raptors beat the Boston Celtics 113 to 101. They're a they're they're a team that people are giving a chance to to come out of the East. They're always a good, they're always, you know, a well-coached team, even though Dwayne Casey somehow got fired after winning coach of the year last year. But um, they've got Kawhi Leonard now. I think they're a better team with him than with DeRozan. So we'll have to see, but they get the best of one of the better top two or three teams in the East, the Boston Celtics. Next up, you have the Memphis Grizzlies winning over the Atlanta Hawks, 131 to 117. Again, these games are ridiculously high scoring to start the season. Next up, Milwaukee beats Indiana 118 to 101. Then the Clippers beat the 
Thunder 108 to 92. And last night, I wish I had the soundbite, but the Utah Jazz, who were leading most of the way, devastating, devastating buzzer beater. They are beaten 124 to 123. So Kevin Durant leaning floater or running shot with the in the final seconds, it clanks off the backboard. And who else but Jarebko, Jonas Jarebko, the former Utah Jazz, tips it in for the win for Golden State, and he beats his former team. That has to be a nightmare for Utah. And Golden State, all they do is win. They get the win there to start the season 2-0. It hasn't been great by the Warriors, but again, they're 2-0 now. So we can uh, move on. That was last night's games. That one ended pretty late. I caught the end of it. Um, yeah, it's been an exciting start in the NBA. I'm, I'm actually excited. You know, football's still going on. I'm in the thick of it in my fantasy football playoffs or my run to win a championship. So I'm still not 100% locked in on the NBA, but I have been paying attention. I was excited. I watched the end of that Nets-Knicks game. It had some good momentum. The Nets are going to be a feisty team this year. They're going to play a lot of close games. They're going to compete, and that's all I hope for. And I'm you know, looking forward to seeing what LeBron does with the Lakers. There's a lot of headlines headed into this season, how the East is going to fold out, who's coming out of the East. Like There's a, there's a lot going on, so so I'm excited. I'm excited about what the, uh, the prospects for this year's uh, season. All right. Like I said earlier at the top of the show, there's a lot of college football going on right now, so I'm going to get into the thick of it with our college football. I'll go over all the top 25 matchups that are going on right now. Actually, Iowa, number 19 Iowa, beat Maryland 23 to nothing. That's the only game of the uh, early 12 o'clock games that has gone final. But first, I do want to mention big news coming out of Ohio State. Defensive end Nick Bosa's college football career is over, not due to an injury, partially actually, but Okay, so Ohio State said earlier in the week that Bosa intends to withdraw. He's going to focus on rehabbing and training. So if you know Ohio State football, you know that Bosa has been sidelined since suffering that that um, that injury um, against TCU in mid-September. He suffered an injury, and he's been out ever since. He will now turn his attention toward preparing for the NFL draft. Look, many people are saying it's not even close. He's your surefire number one overall pick. He is obviously the brother of current defensive end for the Los Angeles Chargers, Joey Bosa. So listen, he doesn't want to come back and play for nothing when he has a future in the NFL on the line and a number one overall pick at that. So it's going to keep bringing up the debate on whether or not these college football stars should be paid. We saw it in years past, last year, the year before. We've seen Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, these guys are not playing in their bowl games because they don't want to risk injury. We had a few years ago, Penn State tight end Jake Butt played in the bowl game and he suffered a terrible, terrible injury. Um, I don't remember if it was his ACL or I think it was an ACL injury and his draft stock plummeted. Now he, he he's on the Broncos, but he suffered another season ending injury. He hasn't been the same player since. So it's very tough and we're going to see more and more of this. And I think it's that, that it should happen. I think the players have the right to say, listen, I don't want to play. I have a future in the NFL on the line and I don't want to get hurt when I'm not playing for anything. They're not playing for, for money, except for the fact that they're, that their schools 
okay? These big organizations are making billions of dollars off the sweat and hard work that these players put in, and they don't get anything. So, yeah, um, force the NCAA's hand, and and we'll see what happens. And I think, you know, the more players that do this, this is going to... this is going to push the NCAA to really consider making a change. And maybe, I don't know whether they, they should be, I don't know how they should should structure it, okay? But I do believe the players need to somehow get get some form of compensation. Whether it's, you know, they get a, I don't know, a, a bank account set up to where they can't maybe touch the money until after their college career, something of that effect, or a lump sum at the end of their career that every player gets. I don't know. I really don't know how they need to do it, but I do believe that these players should get something for their time and their effort and their dedication on and off the field. Okay, we'll get to some of the big games from last week. Number 17, Oregon, knocks off number 7, Washington, in an OT thriller, 30-27. to 27. Okay, the win for Oregon, all but, yeah, that knocks Washington. They're out of the college football playoff. They have two losses now. There's no way they're recovering from that. The Pac-12 just isn't considered, you know, it's not on the same level as a Big Ten or SEC or even ACC with a Clemson in there. They don't get as much respect. So a two-loss team is not getting in the college football playoff. Okay, Washington's kicker, Peyton Henry, he missed the game winner as time expired. He had a chance to win it. Nope, forced overtime. Washington then was not able to put the ball in the end zone. They settled for the field goal. They're up three. Oregon's C.J. Verdell ran in the winning score from six yards out. I don't even think he was touched. Oregon now owns the tiebreaker over Washington in the Pac-12 North race. It's going to be interesting to see if Oregon can win out and... um you know, only has that one loss as far as the college football playoff goes, would they get in over a two-loss team like an Ohio State or even a Penn State? Ohio State only has one loss. I'm just I'm just surmising here. I'd like to I'd be interested in seeing that. Probably not, because again, the Pac twelve doesn't get the same amount of respect as these other big power five conferences. Oregon's quarterback, Justin Herbert, if you listened last week, I was interested to see what he brought to the table. A lot of NFL scouts and big-time NFL execs are saying that this guy is the number one quarterback coming out of college this year. And listen, he didn't have a great game. Just 18 of 32, 202 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Listen, I'm not sold on the kid yet. I'm really not sold on him. They play Washington State tonight, so I will watch that game and see if he brings more to the table. But I'm really just 202 yards. Great, great. Okay, Washington's a good team, yes, but it's not enough for me. I didn't. I wasn't wowed. He made some good NFL type throws, but he didn't. He didn't necessarily. He didn't have the the it factor that I'm looking for, or the wow factor that made me go, okay, this kid's legit. He could play at the next level. So we'll have to see. Maybe not his greatest performance, but again, he has another chance tonight. Um, his quarterback rating, I'll give him that, 129.9, but his completion percentage was hovering around 56.3. That's that's like Josh Allen territory. Okay, here's a big one. Number 13, LSU blasted number two and unbeaten Georgia, 36-16. to LSU really nice bounce back after they suffered their first loss of the season last week, and they just dominated Georgia. LSU settled for five field goals from kicker Cole Tracy, 
but the the passing game for Jake Fromm and Georgia never really got it going. They could not capitalize on all those those missed uh, touchdown attempts by LSU. Jake Fromm, just 16 of 34, 209 yards and a touchdown while throwing two INTs. LSU never trailed in this one after taking a 3-0 lead. Very, very impressive, impressive uh, victory for LSU. Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky are now all tied atop the SEC East, people. Okay, while LSU proves they are Bama's biggest competition in the SEC West, just the game behind Bama in the West there. So this SEC conference is going to be just one to look out for and watch down the stretch. It's going to be very exciting. Number five, Notre Dame. They survived a near upset at the hands of Pitt. This was this was a barn burner if you're the Irish, okay? They trailed for most of the game before escaping with a 19-14 win. They took the lead on a 35-yard touchdown pass with 5 minutes, 43 seconds remaining. Pitt then failed to convert a fourth down after, yeah, this was a bizarre, bizarre fake punt attempt that went just blew up in their faces. Notre Dame stalled, however, gave Pitt one last chance, but uh, Notre Dame defense was able to seal it. And I said this last week, people, but watch out for Notre Dame. Their path to the college football playoff is looking outstanding. As of Saturday's victory over Pitt, they have no ranked teams remaining on their schedule. So if they can run the table, Notre Dame will be in the college football playoff. You can book that. Okay, Nebraska. Boy, oh boy. Nebraska is having a tough go of things under Scott Frost in his first season. Listen, they're off to their worst start in program history. On Saturday, they lost to Northwestern in overtime, dropping their record to 0-6. They held a 31-21 lead. That's a 10-point lead with 541 remaining, but they were somehow able to blow this game and lose 34-31. And in OT, to make things worse, Nebraska decided to go for it on a fourth and one, which they did not convert. Therefore, all Northwestern had to do was kick the field goal, which Drew uh, Luckenbaugh then drilled from 37 yards out to end it. Listen, Nebraska, you're 0-6, or now you are. You were 0-5, though. You cannot try and go for it on fourth and one in overtime. Overtime is... Anytime you have a turnover in overtime, the game is essentially over. So I get it. They were trying to be aggressive and win the game. But but being that you were the first ones to have possession, you cannot not get points. Okay? So the hot seat just got hotter for Scott Frost in his first year at Nebraska. Tennessee upset number 21, Auburn. This was an interesting one um, because Auburn... Sorry, Tennessee now finally ended their 11-game SEC losing streak. The final of 30 to 24 was 30 to 24, and for the Vols, it marked their first conference win since November 19th, 2016, almost two years. Okay, Auburn now falls to one and three in conference play, and it's not look things are not looking good for Auburn. All right, now I'm going to go over the games right now. Like I said, we had the final there in Iowa. As they beat Maryland twenty-three to twenty, 
couple games on right now. You have Wisconsin winning 42 to 20 over Illinois. It is abs- it is a blizzard in Madison right now. They had that game on before because the Michigan and Michigan State game was delayed, so they had a live look in on the Wisconsin game in Madison and there the field was covered in snow. So that's in the fourth quarter Wisconsin's going to get the win there. Then you have Oklahoma They've kind of uh, blown it open against TCU. They're up 45 to 27. Let's take a look at what uh, Kyler Murray's doing. 18 of 23, 212 yards, three touchdowns. Okay, not too bad. So yeah, they're up 45-27. And then you have Michigan, the number six Michigan, up 7-0 at halftime against Michigan State. Like I said, that game has so much time remaining because they were in an early delay. Then you have number 20, Cincinnati, up 17-10 to 10 on top of Temple there with seven minutes left to go. And Temple is actually third and goal on the nine, trying to score and tie things up. Okay, the later games, we have an interesting one. Number three, Clemson hosting number 16, NC State. Both of these teams undefeated coming into this one, so that looks to be a good game. Clemson, 17.5-point favorites. You have number 18, Penn State, on the road at Indiana. Washington, number 15, Washington, coming off the loss in overtime to Oregon. They're hosting uh, number, well, actually, Colorado lost to USC last week, so they dropped out of the rankings. So they're hosting 5-1 and one Colorado. I'm a little intrigued by this one because Washington is 17, 17.5-point favorites, and I'm not sure that, that, that that's going to be true. I don't really know that Washington is going to is going to be able to beat Colorado by 17 and a half. Like that's a lot of points if you ask me. So I would real if I'm a betting man, I would take Colorado there. I don't know. That seems like an awful lot considering Colorado was just ranked a, little, a week ago. And Washington has proven that they're beatable. Okay, number 1 Alabama coming up at 3:30, they will take on Tennessee. They're favored by 29 and a half. This one isn't going to be close. Then you have number five, LSU hosting number 22, Mississippi State. That's at 7 p.m. tonight. That ought to be a good game. I'm looking forward to that. You have undefeated UCF, Central Florida, who has not lost the game. Undefeated last year, still has not lost the game. Had a close one last week before uh, before getting ahead and, and, and not looking back. They, they're on the road at East Carolina, favored by 21 and a half. Then you have undefeated number 21, South Florida, who nobody has been talking about. They're hosting one and five UConn, so they should win that one easily. Then you have number two, Ohio State, on the road against Purdue. They'll win that game. And then you have, like I said tonight, the one I'm looking forward to is Washington State, number 25, Washington State, hosting number 12, Oregon. Oregon wins that. They're going to be moving up. They are definitely going to be moving up. And then number 14, Kentucky, they suffered the loss last week to, I believe, Mississippi State. They are hosting Vanderbilt, and they're favored by 11. So I look for them to, to win that game. And see, listen, Kentucky's been the nice surprise. Sorry, they Mississippi State. Texas A&M, that's right. That's who Kentucky lost to last week in overtime. So uh, those are the top 25 matchups. I'm watching the Rutgers game right now. And like I said, of course, Rutgers is finding a way to lose. They're down 18 to 15 with two and a half minutes left. Northwestern has the ball and is trying to run out the clock. Rutgers, it looks like, has two timeouts remaining. So we'll see what can happen. Um, let's see. All right, we're going to move on to baseball because that's pretty much what everybody wants to talk about. It's October. We have the playoffs. 
MLB postseason, nothing like it except when the Yankees are not in. So, I t- all right, the Red Sox are already in the World Series. They're awaiting our winner of the Dodgers and Brewers, and I'll, I'll just tell you, bring it all together, tell you how we got here. So, the NLCS was squared at one to one, one apiece after the Dodgers tied things up on sat on Saturday. Okay, the Dodgers rallied to beat the Brewers four to three. They trailed three nothing before. This was a really good game Saturday night. Actually, Cody Bellinger had the an RBI single, and then Jeremy Jeffries walked in a run. And the big blow came off the bat of Justin Turner, which was a two-run shot to give the Dodgers the 4-3 lead. Justin Turner, as you know, the night before, he struck out to end the game with a tying run on third base. So he is the um, is the big, big winner there in that one. He's the hero in that game. Kenley Jansen looked good. He closed the door in the ninth. Okay. Then we we fast forward to Monday. The Brewers defeated the Dodgers 4 nothing. So, they have not been to a World Series in 36 years, the Brewers. This would be their second World Series ever. Just keep that in mind. On Tuesday, the Dodgers then beat the Brewers in 13 innings. This was a barn burner, score of 2-1. to one. I believe the Dodgers hadn't scored since the fifth inning. Cody Bellinger drove in Manny Machado with two outs to win the game. Um, early note on this one earlier in the game, benches and bullpens emptied briefly in the 10th inning when Manny Machado appeared to intentionally step on first baseman Jesus Aguilar's leg while running through the bag on a ground out. I don't have the audio because you know you're not going to hear much on it, but if you so you probably have seen that already. So Manny Machado, a little bit of a dirty play. It was obviously intentional watching the replay of it. He's beat running out of ground ball, and he intentionally steps and like trips on Jesus Aguilar's leg, and, and he was purposely wanting to, to make some contact there. It was nothing crazy. Nobody got hurt or anything. The first base coach stepped in and kind of broke things up. George Lombard, he got between them. There was a little bit of a heated exchange, but nothing crazy. The Brewers took issue... Um, er, earlier in the series, actually, with Machado's slides into second base. So he had a couple slides in the second that they believed were overly aggressive and a big no-no, and now Machado does this. So he was, um, it came out that Machado was fined an undisclosed amount by the MLB for this contact with Aguilar. Uh, Aguilar came out and said that they talked about it, nothing, he has no issue with it, let's move on. So that's the Brewers and Dodgers. Okay, we'll pause on that on that series for a second. Then I'll tell you how the Red Sox got to the World Series. They took Game 3. They were ahead two games to one. Jackie Bradley Jr. capped off the night with an eighth inning Grand Slam, and the Red Sox went on to win that game 8-2. to two. Then on Wednesday, the Red Sox won again. They took their third straight over the Astros to take a 3-1 series lead. They won 8-6, and this was the most controversial game of the entire postseason. In the first inning, with a runner on down 2-0, Jose Altuve hit a ball into the right field seats. Okay, home run, right? Not quite. It was ruled fan interference by longtime umpire. He's the most tenured umpire in baseball, Joe West. After replay review, the call stood and Altuve was ruled out. This was absolutely bizarre. He hit the ball. He hit a home run. And Mookie Betts jumped up to try to rob the home run in the seats. 
and he made contact with the fans. And Joe West, who is old and overweight, people, he is overweight. That's an understatement. He had to waddle out there down the line and try to see this with his eyes. I mean, this was this was a tough one. I It was a clear-cut home run, in my opinion. Mookie Betts was not catching this ball. And the fact that people are actually trying to say that the fan making contact with Betts' glove closed his glove, how can you say that? That's impossible. Mookie Betts is a great right fielder, but I'm sorry. He was not going to catch this ball, and it's fair game. When the ball is hit into the crowd, it's fair game. It's one thing if the fans reached over the wall and interfered with Betts making the catch in the play, you know, in the play of, in the field of play, excuse me. But no, this ball was in the seats, and the fans weren't reaching over anything. They were within their, their realm of their seat. I mean, they were trying to catch a home run ball. So I'm just flabbergasted. This changed the entire series. And in my opinion, that was it. That was it on the Houston Astros repeating as champions. And that was your series. Red Sox were getting every bounce, every hit from every player that hasn't been hitting. I mean, everything was going the Red Sox way. Kimbrell, this was a, this did come down to the wire. And that's what stinks about this game. Because if that home run was a home run, then the Astros would have won this game. But um, Craig Kimbrell shaky but he gets his first the first six out save of his career with the bases loaded and two outs in the ninth inning Alex Bregman arguably the Astros best hitter this year hit a line drive to left field but Andrew Benatendi made the diving grab to end the game I mean come on if that ball gets past Benatendi we're talking two outs runners are on the move they're not waiting to see if he catches it so it's possible that that would have won the game right there and three runs would have scored. But we'll never know, and we move on. The Dodgers rallied, and now they have come one game from a second straight World Series berth. This was the other night. Kershaw was absolutely dominant, okay? He allowed just three hits in seven innings, and the Dodgers won 5-2. to two. The Brewers, yeah, this was interesting. The Brewers sent out Wade Miley to start this game. After one batter, they took him out, okay? He threw to Cody Bellinger, lefty on lefty, and then he was pulled in favor of, you know, hard-throwing righty Brandon Woodruff. Miley started last night, which I'll get into. Yeah, so Craig Council trying to, you know, uh, bluff the Dodgers who had a heavy heavy left-handed lineup um, going that in that, or sorry, a heavy right-handed lineup to combat the lefty Miley. So then uh, he goes to the righty quickly after one batter. It didn't work, and the Dodgers were able to win that game. Okay, so now we flip back to the Red Sox. They won game five, four to one. They're headed to the World Series. David Price picked up his first career postseason win as a starter, and what a time it couldn't have come at a better time for David Price. I don't know where this has been all these years, but maybe this is what he needed. He struck out nine, walked zero, and allowed just three hits. J.D. Martinez hit a solo shot off his former teammate Justin Verlander in the third inning. And then Rafael Devers, listen, another guy who was supposed to be there, Miguel Andujar, this year. He struggled, lost his job. He's been platooning at third base with uh, Eduardo Nunez. He gets the start here. He delivered a three-run shot. So like I said, 
the unlikeliest of guys are getting it done in this series for the Red Sox. They've been the best team all year. They're going to win the World Series. It's just a matter of who they're going to face and who they're going to do it against. Um, Yeah, so Boston, they're comfortably awaiting the winner of this NLCS. They will host Game 1 starting on Tuesday night. Now, we, we, we move on to last night, okay? The Brewers, in a must-win game at home, they won 7-2, forcing Game 7 tonight at 9 p.m. The Brew Crew scored five early runs, including four in the first inning off lefty star Hyunjin Ryu. They chased him early. Walker Bueller will come on and start today, tonight for the Dodgers, and uh, Julie Chassin will go for the Brewers. All right, so there were big hits from um, Jesus Aguilar. He had a three-hit night. Um, uh, Ryan Braun, excuse me, he had an RBI hit, um, and Christian Yelich delivered an RBI double, so they were able to handily defeat the the Los Angeles Dodgers there. So that does it for the baseball. Although there is one more thing I want to get to, a bizarre story I heard earlier in the week, not playoff related or anything, but um, we all know that at the end of the year, Mike Sosha decided to call it quits and step down. He's been with the organization for, oh geez, 19 years or so. So the Angels obviously are looking for a new manager, right? And as I look over, shocker, Rutgers freaking lost 18 to 15, my God. All righty, that's depressing. But the Angels are in need of a new manager, right? Okay, listen, I played baseball. I am a baseball guy. It's in my blood. My father's a longtime coach, all right? We know baseball. The Angels are requiring managerial candidates to take a two-hour written test that will gauge their knowledge of the analytical and interpersonal aspect aspects of the position. Say what? Yeah. I have never heard of such a thing, and I am absolutely floored. This pisses me off. Are you kidding me? Who's running things in Los Angeles that you need to take you need managerial candidates to take a two-hour exam? This isn't college. You're interviewing to be a coach of a baseball team. You can find out by interviewing a guy in the first 10 to 15 minutes whether he knows baseball or not, whether he's going to be a good fit for your team or not. This is absolutely ridiculous. I'm disgusted with baseball, and I'm willing to bet you right now that the analytics will not be a part of baseball in the next 10 to 15 or 20 years. And if they are, baseball is going to lose the fans. They are going to be in a very bad, very compromising position. It's ridiculous. I am only 26 years old and I have to tell my and I have to say it over and over again that I am that I am an old school baseball guy. I'm only 26 and I'm an old school guy because the the baseball that I know and that I love and that I played just 10 years ago is not the same thing. It's ridiculous. These teams, everything is based on analytics and it's wrong. It's just plain and simply wrong. You're not going to get me a guy from Harvard or Yale or Princeton that ever played baseball that crunches numbers and tells me that, oh, uh, this batter... Uh, has a career 300 batting average off of this pitcher. So because this guy's pitching in the playoffs tonight, this batter's got to start. 
oh yeah, well, do the analytics, you know, account for the fact that this guy is one for his last 33 or that I can see with my visual eyes that he's slumping and he's not hitting right now. So I'm not going to start a guy just because he has a good career batting average off of some pitcher. That's the stuff that drives me nuts and grinds my gears. And it's the reason I take, I take offense when like last night, Craig Council's in a must-win game, and he takes his pitcher, Corey Knable, who pitched two-thirds of an inning in relief, and now he's due up to bat with the bases loaded in two outs and a 5-2 to two lead, and he lets his pitcher bat with the bases loaded for his first career at-bat. Literally, his first career at-bat, he's going to let him bat with the bases loaded and two outs in a must-win playoff game. All right, and guess what happened? Yeah, that's right. He struck out and he looked foolish doing it. He looked like a guy who never swung a bat before, and it looked like a guy who was having his first career at bat in the playoffs, no less. Like, I mean, what are you doing? This is what drives me nuts because that would never happen. Common sense would tell you that you have other pitchers. Corey Knable is a pitcher. He's not going to get a hit. Where are the analytics that tell you that uh, pitchers don't hit don't hit very well? There's like a career uh, 111 batting average for pitchers or, or, or 150 batting average. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So the fact that you would let a pitcher bat with the bases loaded in two outs, even though you have the lead, what if the Dodgers come back and win that game, Craig Council? You have a lot of answering to do just because you want Corey Knable to throw another inning in relief. You could literally have used any other pitcher. I'm not saying you pinch hit right there and you're guaranteed to get a hit absolutely not but you have a hell of a better chance of a lot better chance to get a hit with a bench player who is a career hitter who that's what his job is is to hit the baseball and play defense versus a guy whose job is to only throw the baseball and get batters out it's just blasphemous and I'm disgusted with the direction baseball is going and anybody that wants to challenge me with the analytics Get me a, give me a team and give and let's play a game and I'll manage versus you and you run the analytics and I'll run based on based on what I know as a baseball savant. Okay, that's right. That's what I'm calling myself. I am a baseball genius, and anyone that says otherwise is flat out wrong. You give me the New York Yankees this year. Instead of Aaron Boone, I would have coached this team to the World Series. There's no doubt about it in my mind. There is no doubt about it. I'm sorry. It just does not work. I am not convinced. You will never convince me. I will go to my grave knowing in my gut and in my soul that the analytics do not work. End of story. Finito. I'm done. My rant for the week is over. We're going to move along now to the NFL as my blood pressure slowly stabilizes and comes back down. All right. So we start off earlier in the week well, on Sunday, Josh Allen suffered an elbow injury. I thought it was just a funny bone or something, but he didn't come back for the rest of that game, and he's going to be forced to miss Sunday's game against the Colts. All right, here's where it gets interesting. Nathan Peterman came in relief for Josh Allen, and oh my God, he did it again. He threw two interceptions, including a pick six. He did throw a touchdown to take the lead, but then gave it right back. Peterman is not starting this game. Not surprisingly, in fact, veteran quarterback Derek Anderson will get the nod. Anderson just signed with the Bills on October 7th. Head coach Sean McDermott knows 
um, Derek Anderson quite well as the, from their time in Carolina, where McDermott was the DC defensive coordinator and Anderson was Cam Newton's backup. According to an ESPN report, I'm not surprised here either. Sean McDermott risked losing the locker room if he started Nathan Peterman. Yeah, so um, the entire team knows that Nathan Peterman is awful. So yeah, you have to start the veteran Derek Anderson, no matter how bad it is, because Nathan Peterman, I feel sorry for the guy. He he is so bad, he throws an interception every time he comes in the game. It's ridiculous. A bit of sad news to report. Microsoft co-founder and Seahawks Trailblazers owner Paul Allen died on Monday due to complications of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Back on October 1st, he announced that the cancer he defeated in 2009 had returned. Unfortunately, that's a bit sad there. But um, he co-founded Microsoft with Bill Gates back in 1975, and he purchased the Trailblazers in 19, uh, 1988 excuse me, and the Seahawks he purchased in 96. The Seahawks have since made three Super Bowl appearances and won its excuse me, first championship by defeating the Broncos back in Super Bowl 48. Some Le'Veon Bell news. He, in fact, did not show up, did not report to the Steelers on Monday, according to what most reports believed. Um, And he is not going to end his holdout this week. Shocker. He will presumably report sometime before the November 13th deadline to get credit for this season towards free agency we'll have to wait and see what happens with that I don't know but the Steelers right now they don't need him they're playing very well James Connors doing a good job all right here's the juiciest part of this segment the juiciest part of this episode that I really wanted to talk about we've got some more Odell Beckham Jr. drama building the Giants are the laughing stock of the NFL and I love it every second of it where's my popcorn let's get this show on the road on Tuesday the NFL owners were having their fall meetings in New York enough said here it is I wish he would create the headlines by his play on the field as opposed to what he says and does off the field I think he needs to do a little more playing a little less talking say what that's right say what I'll play it again that was John Mara the owner of the New York Giants publicly to reporters calling out his star player Odell Beckham Jr. who he just paid 95 million and 65 of it guaranteed so wow John Marrick, I got to give it credit. I got to give you a clap and a shout out, man. You get the shout out of the week because you got some balls and you got some. You, I love it. I love these owners that come out and they call out players. I hate quiet owners that are just businessmen that don't know anything about sports or anything about really anything besides their money. And this is great. Odell Beckham deserved to be called out, in my opinion. Granted, it doesn't look good for the Giants, but hey, anything they do at this point is a is a is a disaster. They are the laughing stock, as Chris Canty stated on ESPN Radio earlier in the week. I mean, this is in this is specifically in reference to the interview he gave last week, which I broke down. I gave you the sound bites on that with Odell he he threw his coach under the bus he threw Eli under the bus and he would not 
he could not give an answer as to whether he wanted to be in New York, which is quite concerning. So I actually, I, I really do. I have to give it up to John Mara. I like what he did. A lot of people are saying two wrongs don't make a right. But listen, you're the owner. You're fed up because you just paid this man 65 mil and he's coming out and disrespecting you like this. And come on, people, if you didn't see this coming from Odell, he didn't get the money, but he wasn't holding out. He was doing everything right and this and that. Are you kidding me? He was he was scheming. He was playing the Giants. He was waiting for that payday. Then he was going to turn back into the same Odell, same guy he always is. So that was Mara on Tuesday. Then yesterday, then yesterday, excuse me, Odell is asked about this. And he basically put it to bed and he quashed it and he said everything's good, blah, blah, blah. They haven't really talked to each other yet, but it's fine. Except it just continues. Odell is asked the question, and I don't know how this comes about, but Odell was cramping last week again on Thursday night, apparently against the Eagles in that blowout. And he was seen headed to the locker room at the end of the third quarter to get an IV and... Just take a listen to this question because it, it's bizarre. I'm, I, I don't even know where to go with this one. Uh, I've always cramped. Uh, I've always cramped. It's just I'm, I feel like I'm working harder than I ever have. So I really don't like water. Um, I'm trying. I really just don't like it. You know, when you get that stomach feeling, it's all slushy. Like I'm, I'm trying to stay hydrated. But, um, you know, sometimes I just I just – Got to get an IV. It's just necessary. You know, you're cramping, you're cramping in both calves. It's hard to run and make cuts. And, and if you're cramping and dehydrated, you're susceptible to some, something else. So um, I'm trying to stay on top of it um, the best that I can. Say what? Did he just say he doesn't like to drink water? You're a professional athlete. You should be drinking tons of water. You need to stay hydrated. I, I, I've heard of guys, guys go to the locker room all the time to get an IV. They're cramping up because they're a little dehydrated. This is, we're talking uh, in places where the heat is, is, is like Miami, where it was a hundred plus degrees recently, a couple weeks ago, places like that, Tampa Bay. I mean, LA sometimes I'm sorry, man. Odell is soft. He's all about himself and that's fine. You don't like to drink water. Okay. We've heard from uh, Cespedes of the New York Mets last year that he doesn't like to drink water either. Either, but you gotta you you're the you're the or, this organization. Where's the training staff? Where's the coaches? Where's anybody to tell Odell you need to stay hydrated? Nobody really. Water doesn't have much of a flavor, but it's a necessity for your body. You need to hydrate. You need it. And and guess what? Have you ever heard of Gatorade? Have you ever heard of anything else? I, I just, I don't understand this. There, there, there's so many different drinks out there now. You've got body armor. There's vitamin water. There's, there's so many drinks out there that you can take to stay hydrated. You don't just need water. But the fact that this man is saying that he needs to get IVs every once no, that's unacceptable. You're taking yourself off the field on one of the most critical plays of the game that you were not out there and they can't convert on fourth down. That's total disrespect to your teammates and and this entire organization and the fans. Odell, get it together, man. Ay, 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 this saga is just, this is just too entertaining. I'm sorry. And oh, wait, guess what? That's not it. It's not over because yesterday Odell Beckham Sr., that's right, OBJ's father came out and he had something to say to 
owner, John Mara. This is pure entertainment, people. And, oh, this is the Big Apple at its finest. I love it. All right. So a lot of people might not know this if you're in this area or in this New York market. Yesterday, Odell Beckham Sr. posted on IG. This was a repost of someone else's post, but it might have well, it might has might have well has have uh, I can't talk right now. It might have well been OBJ Sr. Odell's fa, Odell. Oh my God, I really can't talk right now. Sorry, excuse me. I'm trying to do too many things at once. So Odell Beckham Sr. He might have just might as well have just said this himself because when you repost something, it's basically something that you believe as well. If you're not really too sure what a repost is or what tweeting is or retweeting, this is uh, Instagram. He reposted somebody posted something, and he posted it on his page as if he was liking it and saying that I agree with everything you're saying. But he reposted it with his own caption saying, "Really? Hashtag I'm a father first with the biceps and hashtag 100 emojis mixed in. The rest of the comment on the post was written by, like I said, this was another user that went on to say Mara's emotional behavior is no better than OBJ's. Now, this was a video of John Mara sometime long ago, unrelated to OBJ presumably, where John Mara's in the owner's box and he's seen throwing a chair as if he's disgusted and he's throwing the chair and he's pissed off. The full post says, is that owner Mara picking up a chair and throwing it? Oh my, my, the tree is acting like the apple, as if to say that the owner is acting like OBJ, and they're both getting in tissy fits, or hissy fits. So, I mean, this is, this is bad all around. OBJ probably can't even be happy. When you have your father coming out and trying to defend you and throwing shade on your organization, I'm sorry, people. It does not work. You cannot be doing it. This is bad. This is a bad, 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 bad all the way around. This is going to be a very ugly and tumultuous breakup between the Giants and OBJ. OBJ is going to haunt this organization. This is kind of like what the Nets did with the Celtics when the Celtics are still haunting the Nets and the Nets are still trying to regroup and get back under their own feet from that horrific, costly uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade so, so many years ago. This is going to be something similar to that where they're going to be regretting having paid OBJ and giving him this contract extension for many, many years because it's just not working. And again, I'll keep coming back to it. As Chris Canty said it earlier in the week, this organization went from one of the best, most respected to literally they are now a laughing stock amongst NFL teams and amongst NFL circles, they are considered a laughing stock. Ridiculous. All right, let's move on from that. Hopefully, OBJ can just put up, can can just shut up and and put up the numbers, just like Mara is saying. It would help the entire team. They play on Monday night against the Falcons. All right. Speaking of the Falcons, this is a good segue. Devontae Freeman, their star running back, is headed to IR. He had been dealing with a knee injury that cost him uh, to miss three weeks this year, 
And on Sunday, he suffered a groin injury, which will require surgery. If rehab goes well, he could return for the final couple of weeks of the season. Just last year, Freeman agreed to a six-year, $43 million extension. So lucky for him, he did get paid. Bad news for the Falcons, however. All right. On Wednesday, the Dolphins announced that Brock Osweiler will once again start in place of the injured Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill has been suffering from an injury in his throwing shoulder. Osweiler threw for 380 yards and three touchdowns with two interceptions in last week's OT win over the Bears. That was an up-and-down battle. Listen, Osweiler stinks at quarterback. Longtime quarterback in this league for the Broncos, Houston Texans, the Browns, he couldn't even start there. Now he's backing up Tannehill. He threw for 380 yards. That's because Albert Wilson got a couple dump-offs that he took 70 yards to the house twice. Okay? His numbers were inflated. Osweiler also threw basically a pick six that was, you know, an awful throw that got returned by by uh, Kendall Fuller, I believe it was. There's so many of the Fuller brothers in the NFL. I can't remember which one it was. But he returned it back to, like, the 10-yard line, and then Trubisky threw the touchdown later on. OT... Kenyon Drake fumbled at the one-yard line when the Dolphins were about to win the game. And he was devastated on the sideline, couldn't believe it. Well, guess what? The Dolphins were still able to pull through and win. I lost some money thanks to the Bears not covering that game. But I don't want to really talk about it. All right. Next up, we have Thursday Night Football just two days ago. What a... CF this one was. The Broncos decimated the anemic Cardinals 45-10. to I was saying it all year that the Bills were the worst team in the NFL. I have changed my mind on that now, and it's the Cardinals. It did not take Josh Rosen very long to fall behind in this one. The second play of the game, he had to burn a timeout, and then he comes out of that timeout, tipped ball at the line, pick six. Just like that. Later in the quarter, Rosen threw his second pick six of the game. Two in one quarter. Emmanuel Sanders threw for a touchdown, and then he caught a wide-open 64-yard touchdown. And before you knew it, the score was 28-3. to Overall, Josh Rosen was not good. Threw for three INTs, two lost fumbles, and was sacked six times. The lone bright spot for the Cardinals Larry Fitzgerald caught his 111th touchdown in the third quarter to tie Tony Gonzalez for the seventh most in NFL history. And let's hear that one. Rosen and zone. That is Fitzgerald. And that is a touchdown. Take the Broncos off that list. Only the Ravens, Jets, and Steelers remain. So yeah, if you heard that last part, my New York Jets are one of three teams that have not allowed a touchdown to Larry Fitzgerald. That's pretty cool. Larry Fitzgerald is a staple for the last 15 years, has stuck it with this Arizona Cardinal team through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad. He's come so close to his Super Bowl. But listen, okay, the Cardinals are are, are just killing me. I drafted David Johnson onto my fantasy team, and you would think Josh Rosen would get him the ball more. There's no running room. There's no running lanes. That's fine. At least dump it off to the running back for me. Get him some screens. 
he, they said they were going to put him in the slot. He wanted to have 1,000 yards receiving and 1,000 yards rushing. He is capable of doing it. He is one of the best two-way running backs in the game. He missed all of last year with a wrist injury, not a knee injury, not a foot injury, not an ankle injury, but a wrist He is fully healthy. You have got to start getting him the ball. And I was saying it throughout this game as it got worse and worse and worse. I said, somebody is going to get fired after this game. Somebody needs to be fired. And that somebody ended up being offensive coordinator Mike McCoy, who has now been fired like three times in the past 12 or 17 months. So tough going for Mike McCoy. They have since promoted quarterbacks coach and former NFL quarterback himself, Byron Leftwich to offensive coordinator. Listen, the cards are bad. They rank 31st in the NFL in NFL averaging only 13.1 points per game. So I'm hoping maybe, I'm holding out hope here that Byron Leftwich will help David Johnson get going finally in the second half of the season. Also, some crazy news yesterday. We had Marshawn Lynch headed to IR. He will miss at least a month. John Gruden's first stint, uh, second stint with the Raiders not looking good at all. He probably can't wait for the offseason to come. And then crazy news. Carlos Hyde, another one of my fantasy running backs, just upended and traded from the Browns to the Jags as Leonard Fournette's hamstring injury continues to be an issue. Although they are saying that he might come or come back around week nine. Well, that screws me because Carlos Hyde was my number two running back in fantasy and he was putting up solid numbers. Now he goes to Jacksonville where he's not going to presumably play tomorrow. I benched him already in favor of Tariq Cohen and we don't know what the future holds. If if Leonard Fournette does come back, well, Carlos Hyde is going to be in a platoon and he's not going to get all the touches. And right now they already just signed Jamal Charles, the Jaguars last week. So he's already going to be in a platoon. So there goes my value on Carlos Hyde and my fantasy season could be going down the toilet pretty quickly. All right. So now we can recap all of last week's games pretty quickly. I'll get through this one and we're going to wrap things up. I'll do last week's games and then I'll get through um, my predictions for week seven. My New York Jets won their second straight, 42-34 over the Indianapolis Colts. This was a nice one. Andrew Luck, second play of the game, tried tried a screen pass, got tipped and picked sixth by Mo Claiborne. So that was nice. The Jets looked good. Didn't get much run game going in this one, but Sam Darnold looked sharp, and the Jets were able to put up 40 points against a really bad Indianapolis Colts team. We all know the Philadelphia Eagles destroyed the Giants 34-13. Nothing, nothing to go over there. Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons, who I predicted to win this one, they were able to hold on 34-29 to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cincinnati Bengals 28-21. Listen, my oh my, the Cincinnati Bengals cannot beat the Steelers. It is so bad. And that was a home game for Cincinnati, but it felt like it was a Pittsburgh Steeler home game. Then the LA Chargers, many people were picking the Cleveland Browns in this one. Even in the pregame, I saw all the analysts picking the Browns. I had a couple friends picking the Browns. Listen, I'm high on the Browns this year. I've made it known, but I knew the Chargers were going to win this one easily. And I predicted it. And the Chargers, did they win ever? Uh, 38 to 14. This one wasn't even close. Next up, we had Seattle. This one was in London. 
I really felt bad for the Raiders. They stood no chance in this one. Russell Wilson was looking nice. The Seahawks roll 27-3. And this was the tough one. Like I said, I lost some money on this one. I had the Bears at 7, minus 7, going against Brock Osweiler. And somehow the Bears blew it thanks to a Mitch Trubisky interception in the red zone when they could have gone up by, I think, 10 points. Just drives me nuts. And then Miami's able to win it in overtime. Then Minnesota beat Arizona 27-17. to Not much to go over there. The Washington Redskins bounce back after an awful performance on Monday night football against the Saints to beat Carolina 23-17. I ended up losing money there. I had a four-team parlay, okay? And I needed, just needed Carolina to win that. They had a chance. They were driving. Fourth down, that final... That final sequence of play calling was atrocious. Cam Newton was overthrowing McCaffrey on every play, and they had no chance. But if the Panthers would have pulled that one out, I would have hit on all four of my up on all four teams for my parlay, and I would have won about two hundred bucks. But um, I had the parlay insurance. Thank you, DraftKings. I had three out of four, so I got the money back. Not a big deal. Next up, Houston beat Buffalo. I briefly talked about that. Nathan Peterman ended up having to come in and threw a bad pick six that ended the game, essentially. Um, the Rams held on to beat the Denver Broncos 23-20. to Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup came back, although Brandon Cooks, once again, screwed me, didn't do too much. The Dallas Cowboys absolutely routed the Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe I was saying that I liked the, the Cowboys in this one. I'm not too sure. I was flipping back and forth on this one. But then when it came time to picking this one on DraftKings, because you get to just pick who the winners are going to be of each each week, I ended up um, picking the Dallas Cowboys. And then the Tennessee Titans got blanked 21 to nothing by the Baltimore Ravens. I sort of saw this coming. I thought it would be closer than that. But I knew Baltimore was the better team. And they showed that. Again, I got screwed because Justin Tucker kicked just three extra points. The big game, the two big games were the were the the last two games of the week, quite frankly. These were the best games, some of the best games of the year so far. The New England Patriots held on for an absolute thriller against Patrick Mahomes and the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs. I predicted the Patriots to win this game. And they were winning pretty handily. Mahomes looked like a shell of his, his himself in the first half. But they turned it on in the second half. I was getting destroyed in fantasy. But then it became the Tyreek Hill show. He scored three touchdowns. But it wasn't enough as Tom Brady got the ball back, tied 40 apiece. And he did what Tom Brady does. Take a listen. Deep down the sideline. He goes for Gronkowski. He has it. The ball is inside the 10-yard line. And Kosaski will try to send everybody home. Which he does. What a game. What a game. What a game indeed. That doesn't even do it justice. This was just a phenomenal, phenomenal game. I mean, I'm I I tell you, this was unbelievable. And then we had San Francisco and Green Bay. I liked. I looked at the spread of this. I was going to take Green Bay, but then I saw that the spread was 
was a lot. It was well over. It was over seven. It was. I might. I want to say it was in double digits or seven and a half somewhere about there. And I said to myself, you know what? The 49ers aren't as bad as people think. And I wasn't taking that. So I didn't bet on this game. And the 49ers gave them a run for their money. They should have won this game, but they gave Aaron Rodgers too much time. And Green Bay ends up winning. Mason Crosby bounced back big time, and he hit all of his field goals in this game, including the game winner. I Quick story, I went into this one thanks to Tyreek Hill down by 8 points in fantasy, I think, or 12 points, something like that. And no, not I was down like, no, I don't know what I was down by. Anyway, sorry, he had Alfred Morris, I had George Kittle. Well, guess what? Alfred Morris got one carry in this game, and it was called back due to a holding penalty. So he got zero points, and there I am with George Kittle praying. He had me, uh, a few, I think, like three or five points, and I just needed the six-point touchdown, and I would have won. I would have won, but um, of course, Bethard could not get George Kittle the ball. And I'm screaming at the TV because you've got Jason Witten and Joe Tessitore. They're talking every third down that he's got to look for George Kittle. He's open in the flat. He's open over here. And they just couldn't get him the ball. And unfortunately, I lost and I dropped to uh, a record of 3-3. Three and three. I'm in the thick of it in both of my leagues, though, so I can't really complain. I'll try to bounce back this week. All right. Now we've got to quickly go over the week seven games. This is going to be literally, it has to be real quick. I have to get this through and finish this, finish up this episode because we're running behind schedule. Jets hosting Minnesota. This is the Jets' third straight home game. They're three and a half point underdogs. Kirk Cousins turned the Jets down to go to Minnesota in free agency. The Jets better be pissed and they better come out fired up. And I really like the Jets in this one, but I can't, I can't. I can't bet on them, but the Jets at plus three and a half at home, I'll take that right now. Okay, next up, the Chargers and Titans. Listen, the Titans are trending backwards. Chargers are trending forwards. Chargers by seven, book it. You have New England on the road in Chicago. Patriots by three, I'll book that as well. Next up, battle of awful teams. The Colts facing the Bills. The, The Colts are eight and a half point favorites. Are you out of your mind? I like the Colts to win this, but not by eight and a half points. Sorry, give me the bills there. Detroit on the road against a four and two Miami team. Listen, Osweiler is not going to have this magic two weeks in a row. I would bet my house on Detroit minus three. Next up, Philly hosting Carolina. Three and three Philly uh, Eagles, three and two uh, Panthers coming off of a bad loss. Philly by five and a half. That's a tough one. Ah, I would not touch this game, but I'll say that the Phillies, the Phillies, I keep saying that. I'll say that the Philadelphia Eagles win this one by about four. So if I would, if I had to, I'd take the Panthers at plus five and a half. Next up, battle of two and three teams, the Tampa Bay Bucks hosting the Cleveland Browns, Tampa Bay by three and a half. Sorry, I'll take Cleveland plus three and a half. Next up, Jacksonville hosting Houston. Battle of three and three teams. Jacksonville's trending backwards. They look to bounce back. Minus four. Um, yeah, I'll take them at minus four. Next up, Baltimore hosting New Orleans. Baltimore minus two and a half. Not buying it. I'll take New Orleans plus two and a half. Next up, six and oh, Rams on the road against the one and five 49ers. Rams by ten and a half. You can book it. 
Next up, Dallas on the road against Washington. I will say that that is that's a push, that one. But I do like Dallas. They're playing much better football of late. So give me Dallas there straight up. Next up, Kansas City hosting Cincinnati. Kansas City minus seven. No, I'm not taking that. I say Cincinnati keeps it within seven, but Kansas City wins this game. Next up, you have Monday Night Football. The Giants on the road in Atlanta. Both teams not very good on defense. Atlanta minus four. I like Atlanta to win this game by at least 10. Alrighty, I went through that pretty quickly. That's going to do it. Final segment on this date in sports. I'm going to go through it quickly because I'm disgusted with this Red Sox talk. October 20th, 2004, the Red Sox became the first team in history to win a series after trailing three games to none. We all know they went on to win the World Series, sweeping the St. Louis Cardinals. That's going to do it for this show. The Red Sox are actually in the World Series. We have Game 7 of Dodgers. Brewers NLCS tonight at 9, slate of college football games. I look forward to watching my Jets host the Minnesota Vikings tomorrow along with the rest of the NFL games. That's going to do it. I'm your host, Anthony. You've been listening to This Week in Sports, episode 22. I am signing out. So long. See you next week.